Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, and I'm joined here by Father Jacob Bertrand and Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. And here we are. Uh, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, well, it's actually Saturday for some of you who are listening. It's Sunday for some of you who are listening. It's actually next year for some of you who are just catching up on this podcast. But you need to know that regardless of when you are listening to it, we're recording it live. So in this moment, uh, Father Patrick, how are things? Greetings, God's planners. <laughs> Gosh. <Woo>. I felt that <laughs> I felt that just like the ultra, you know, if you're gonna do the whole time travel thing, then you know, we just need to nerd out. So um, I am ready to splain. Um, splain the Lord. Yeah. Nice. Splain, splain some things. Splain scripture. Scripture splaining. Uh, <laughs> Speaking Bible of splaining. splaining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We actually just started doing guest splaining. Uh, so that's to say that we're having guests on the show. And uh, each of those episodes will appear the first Monday of each month. So if you haven't yet listened to it, for the month of December, we had Catholic recording artist Sarah Kroger. And then for the month of January, we'll have Father Mike Schmitz. Um, and we have a few uh, kind of February and March all queued up, but I will wait for the reveal on those for some other dramatic moment, which will be unplanned. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Thanks, because, you know, our promo for guest planning was trying to say, tune in, figure out who it is until it's released. But now is that so? Oh, that's my how we gosh. did it for the first one. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a tease. Well, if I followed us on social media, I would know that. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Oh, man. So here we are just being shamelessly tuned in to all things God's planning. Um, but yes, let's just... Uh, Lexio, Lexio is most effective when the first part of it is a planning meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There you go. Uh, this, my friends, was all scripted. So let's, uh, let's dive into the readings here for this fourth Sunday of Advent. So to set the mood and be a little more serious, please God, we'll say the collect for the Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O God, eternal majesty, whose ineffable word the Immaculate Virgin received through the message of an angel, and so became the dwelling place of divinity, filled with the light of the Holy Spirit, grant we pray that by her example we may in humility Hold fast to your will. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The first reading for today's Mass is from the second letter, excuse me, the second book of Samuel. I like to be very dramatic when it comes to reading readings, which is code for I hadn't yet opened it. Here we go. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies on every side, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan answered the king, go do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. But that night the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, should you build me a house to dwell in? It was I who took you from the pasture and from the care of the flock to be commander of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. And I will make you famous like the great ones of the earth. I will fix a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their place without further disturbance. 
Neither shall the wicked continue to afflict them as they did of old, since the time I first appointed judges over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also reveals to you that he will establish a house for you. And when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your heir after you sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I sort of wish that the Lord would say this to me, go do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. <laughs> but usually it's, um, no, Father Patrick, just do what your superiors say. Okay. Um, I think a good place to start thinking about this reading from um, the second book <laughs> of Samuel. Um, I think a good place to start with, with this reading is thinking back actually to the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham, because these first promises to Abraham are the first promises of Israel. And we see them brought to fulfillment in an, in an incredible way as the Lord builds the temple, his dwelling place among them. So that's what's being talked about here. So God promises Abraham land, a place to live. Uh, he promises descendants and he promises to be Abraham's God. These are, these are three of the keys um, that, that the Lord is promising to Abraham at the inauguration of the covenant. And again, properly land, um, land and descendants are, are incredibly important in this promise for the people of Israel. So when we see David longing to build a temple, why, do, why, does he, why does he want to build a dwelling place for the Lord? Because it's the fruition of all of these things. The land that Israel ha- has now is, is the land of Israel. David has brought all of this together in the kingdom. Um, he's united things. He's reigning gloriously over the United Kingdom of Israel, um, which doesn't last that long. You know, it falls actually <laughs> after Solomon and the kingdom begins to divide. But he's reigning, he's reigning over this united Israel. And this is a land which belongs to, belongs to a people. Um, so the idea of building a temple then is that the descendants of this people will be able to worship God in this place. Um, and so in this way, the temple is the place where God is. It's a promise for the descendants of Israel, a place where they can continue to be with their God unto the ages. And it's a true home. It is um, the, the, the temple that David longs to build. He doesn't build it, of course. His son Solomon builds the temple. Um, but the temple that David longs to build, a great house for the Lord, um, is a reflection of this, of this coming, to, um, coming to fulfillment of this promise of, uh, of a nation, of a land, of a place where people can be with God. So yeah, that's the background. That's all I got on that. <laughs> the one of the one of the things that stands out from from this reading is the way in which our Lord deals with David. Um, the way in which our Lord uh, yeah reacts to what David wants to do as as Father Patrick was saying uh, at the beginning that, you know, so often, or it would just be easier to be able to sort of propose a plan and, and do what we want and that sort of thing. But, but obviously we know that there are other impinging circumstances such that we often don't get to do exactly what we want or exactly how we want to do it or on the timeline that we propose. Um, if, if that were the case uh, that we did, that, that we were able to sort of um, just do what we wanted when we wanted, I think that in the immediate, there would be a sort of sense of gratification and a sense of, um, you know, self-sufficiency and that sort of thing. But 
ultimately that that would that would kind of go against how we're made how our hearts are made and what our hearts long for and it we don't we're not made for and we don't desire at our deepest at our deepest being just to be kind of autonomous beings that have no kind of relation to anything else or anyone else or have no kind of end in mind towards which we are moving or towards which we should be moving um but but just the opposite that we're made our hearts are made for someone our hearts are made to be with to be with god and to share in the trinitarian love and this this interchange between between king david and and god here um even it shows us that even those good things those good plans that we have set for ourselves god still wants to purify those and bring those about according to his plan that even the good things that we offer to god even the holy things that we offer to god um are still god's to determine when and how they should come about and we're all the better for that we're all the better when we're able to detach from our um detach from our plans and hopes and expectations not that they don't matter but that and that but that we recognize that in fact god perfects them god brings them to completion god brings us to a fuller deeper uh lasting happiness and this is this is all the message of of advent that that goodness uh, that the goodness of God now triumphs and reigns, not simply our plans, but but God's for us to bring us to 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 complete happiness and complete fulfillment. Just to draw out further some of what Father Jacob Bertrand just described, um, I think that this is a an excellent and clear example of a kind of Catholic both and. So, on the one hand, we are to be receptive to the Lord's prompting and initiation. And on the other hand, we're supposed to be active, right? We're supposed to be doers and not merely hearers of the word. But it's not like, you know, you're supposed to be active until such time as your plans are derailed by God and then to be active in another way. Rather, we're supposed to be actively receptive, as it were, right? So you see here what comes of our operating by our limited human lights without kind of consultation or without that being prompted by the Lord. It comes to nothing because the Lord stays the hand of David and the temple, as Father Patrick described, is only ever built in the reign of Solomon, his son. <clears throat> and so I think that this, this can actually be clarifying when we think about how uh, Catholicism is sometimes described on a political spectrum. So sometimes you have people on the right who criticize those on the left, and you have people on the left who criticize those on the right. Um, and that's to say, sometimes uh, kind of folks on the right will say if folks on the left that they are, quote unquote, social justice warriors, that they care only about doing and alleviating, um, you know, kind of poverty and its effects among those who are disadvantaged. But there's this sense of kind of activism, which isn't informed by the receptive stance that we see kind of commended here in the reading. And then oftentimes those on the left uh, will, will kind of lampoon those on the right <clears throat> for being stodgy, uh, critical, and not really doing anything, as it were just kind of um, putting, putting a halt on what could otherwise be progress and uh, the genuine alleviation of human suffering. So I think here we see that this Catholic both end of active receptivity wends its way through that political spectrum and, and depoliticizes it. Because ultimately, it's not about being on the left or being on the right. It's, be, it's about being the Lord's and having him activate your response so that whatever comes of the work of your hands redounds to his glory since it is inspired by his spirit. So with that then, let's uh, go ahead and turn to our second reading. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, to him who can strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, 
according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages, but now manifested through the prophetic writings, and according to the command of the eternal God, made known to all nations to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here, I just want to zoom in on the words obedience of faith. So this is one big long sentence, right? And he describes the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages. And what is it meant to bring about? It's meant to bring about the obedience of faith. So obedience is described in a variety of ways in the Christian tradition. And oftentimes the emphasis is placed on submission of will. Somebody tells you to do something, you don't necessarily like that something, but then you do the something because you are obedient. But here, I want to stress that there's um, a kind of richer setting or richer context for the understanding of obedience. And I think that we can benefit from the witness of St. Thomas Aquinas. And St. Thomas's understanding law is first an ordinance of reason, which means that it's something wise because it reflects the order of reality. And the legislator proposes it as such for the common good of those over whom he is set. So when we talk about the obedience of faith, uh, the Latin root is abaudire, which just means basically to hear. And it's through hearing that faith comes. And remarkably, or at least noteworthily, to make up a strange adverb, faith is an intellectual virtue, right? It says by the obedience of trying harder, or by the obedience of white knuckling, or by the obedience of mere submission. It says by the obedience of faith. And faith has a real intellectual content because faith opens our mind to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages. It actually gives us access to the very knowledge of God and of the blessed so that by faith, we can know more than even the wisest of pagan philosophers just by virtue of the fact that we are baptized, that we see you know, uh, the Lord's precious body and blood consecrated on the altar, that we pray, that we are you know, kind of involved in a Christian community, that, that we actually know something. So the reason for which we obey is because we have been given access to God and to God's self-manifestation. So that's what is to eventuate in obedience. And I think this should be part of our conversations, specifically in Coronatide, because obedience has become a big thing. And um, it's been you know, very frustrating for people to have to obey things with which they sympathize 0%. So I think that we should you know, introduce this into our conversations, that there's a real intellectual content, and it has something to do with faith and something to do with God's revelation of himself. The the verses from from this from this part of the letter to the Romans from Saint Paul come as the final verses of of a letter, and I think often Saint Paul's letter to the Romans kind of stands out as compared to his other letters um, because it's one it's longer, but it's also theologically dense and and rich, and and these are just the last the last verses, the last thing that he, the last things that he says in this letter to the Romans. And one of the things um, that, that stands out after this sort of long theological treatise, moral exhortation is that, is that St. Paul, again, appeals to the mystery, to the revelation of the mystery, who is, who is God. For so, for so long, um, God had been slowly revealing himself through the prophets and through the patriarchs and through the kings and, and all of the Old Testament. But now, in, in this time, in this, you know, with Christmas just a few days away, um, comes the fulfillment of all of that revelation in, in Christ Jesus. And the beauty here is that as, as men and women created in the image and likeness of God, uh, 
which me simply means that we have the ability to know and the ability to love and, and imitate our our creator in that that the mystery that has been slowly um, be that has been slowly revealed to us over over the ages is now something for us to know and something for us to know intimately and immediately and not in the sense that every aspect of the mystery is made manifest but that we can know who that mystery is that we can know him as as a person as our god um just before us and as father as father gregory was was speaking uh speaking about that through our obedience of uh obedience of faith that saint paul talks about we can come to know him more and more that revelation becomes something more and more familiar and less and less foreign and less and less distant and in coming to know through faith uh, we're better able to love we're better able to chase after him. We're better able to give ourselves totally and completely to him. So I'm going to begin my segment with a little bit of self-congratulatory backpattery <laughs> because I was absolutely certain, I would have bet my religious life on it. I was absolutely certain that Father Gregory was going to say the words, obedience to faith, was certain. <laughs> I knew that that was coming. So mm. I was very... <clears throat> very very pleased with myself. Kudos, about Father Gregory. Talk about the obedience of faith. It's just saying, uh, hey, okay, I anyway, aspire so to you, be obediently faithful. You know, you know each other in religious life. <laughs> um, I would like to suggest that one phrase to continue um, unpacking the themes that Father Gregory and Father Jacob Bertrand are mentioning here. I I would like to express my desire for every Catholic to memorize this line and I, I don't know, carve it into your mirror, just like take out a car key and scratch it in there. Um, but because I, because I think it's so critical. It's so important. Um, and it's the first line of the catechism, which um, I know father Gregory and father Jacob Bertrand are familiar with, but it is, it reads thus God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man, to make him share in his own blessed life. That's all that's going on here. God, very happy, perfectly content in and of himself, uh, you know, knowing and loving himself uh, since before time began and will continue in such activity until the end of time, um, invites us into it. It's just that simple. God in his sheer goodness um, invites us to know God the way that God knows God's own self. And that is incredible. Um, and that's, that is an articulation of what divine revelation is, which is just the unfolding, the invitation to come to know, as Father Jacob Bertrand was saying, in a deeper way, these mysteries of the kingdom, which help us make sense of the horizon of our life. They, sh they sharpen our loves um, and draw us more completely towards him. Now, it is a mystery, though, the way that this unfolds, um, because God, because of God's own wisdom, God decides to do some things at uh, at at a particular time, you know, so I often joke um, that, um, you know, Palestine 2000 years ago, not how I'd have done it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I mean, that sort of like glibly, like I would have chosen a different place, you know, like maybe a nice beach, like that would have been a good setting for the nativity or, you know, something like that. So that when pilgrims go there, it's more clearly a vacation resort or something like that. You know, you can think of like ways that you could, you know, hypothetically improve on the work that the Lord has done. Um, they, these aren't real improvements, of course, because God's ways are uh, perfect. And there's a reason why he did things in this order. Um, but for us to think seriously about why God has revealed himself in this way, help us, helps us to understand and embrace um, the, the mysteries of his love. 
God chose Abraham. God chose Moses. God, God chose David, flawed as he was. God chose all of these people um, to, to, be, to be these key models in uh, the unfolding of the plan of his love. And this should really give us pause because it's not as if, um, it's not as if God's plan is incomplete, but the unfolding of these mysteries happens in such a way that we're invited to, we're invited to continually contemplate and rejoice in it. Boom. Well, Carrie Underwood certainly approves of your proposal to carve with a key into an object that ought not be carved <laughs> into with a key. Um, I also love that, key- that may or may not have been my direct reverend there. But. Oh, nice. Cheers. I also think, did you tell us to memorize something and then did you read it from your computer screen? <laughs> Absolutely. That's going to happen. Are you kidding me? Okay, no, like, just, I don't mind assigning homework. <laughs> Cheers. I know I res- the first line. I respect line. that hundred percent. God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself. I know nice. that part of it. Well, I'm going to wait 12 seconds to introduce the next reading because it's my, no, just kidding. If you would, please read, please read us the gospel. Do I clear my throat loudly before I begin? Father Gregory? <laughs> just begin. I'm abashed. A reading from the Holy gospel according to Luke. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This this reading is sort of a um, challenges a preacher to pick one thing to preach about because there's so much going on here. It's it's so rich and it's so beautiful and there's so much um, to connect with the Old Testament prophecies and fulfillment and about our Blessed Mother and 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 the angel and Elizabeth and there's you could talk about it you could like sort of geek out about it nerd out about it whatever forever. Um, so one thing that I think is worth focusing our attention, especially during the season of Advent, is is how what the evangelist is telling us, what he's recounting to us, what St. Luke is, is giving to us, unfolds, continues to unfold the mystery of revelation that St. Paul speaks about by connecting um, what was prophesied to the fulfillment of that prophecy in the New Testament, um, to see it all as a piece. And here we, Mary um, stands out in this regard, Mary as, as the new Ark of the Covenant or the new, the new um, 
the new dwelling place for God. So if we were to look back in, into the second book of Samuel, uh, that from which our first reading was, uh, we have the story of, of David who brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem or attempts to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And this parallels and foreshadows the, the visitation, the second part of the gospel that we have here today, the encounter Mary going to the hill country to her cousin Elizabeth and the encounter shared between them. Um, if we look back at Second Samuel, both and the gospel, both Mary and David at our Lord's command uh, arose and went out to the place where they were where they were told to go they they went out and and sort of did the lord's bidding or conformed to god and in the same way david and elizabeth both in the presence of of god and david in the presence of the ark and elizabeth in the presence of mary who was of course pregnant with our lord both both were in awe you know both were in awe they were they were without you know kind of reaction or word or um just simply in awe before before god and and who what mary is um, who she is in this moment is is not simply just you know a woman who happens to be pregnant with with the Son of God, but is is the new Ark of the Covenant, is that new vessel, is the Immaculate Conception, who is made ready to to carry to carry Christ. Um, her whole life, uh, she was prepared to be this this new Ark and this new Covenant. And again, as as we said, not in some kind of abstract way, but in a way, um, in a way to be sanctified as an example of what God's grace and what the what the what the grace of the incarnation does to men and women, if we want to use that language, how that grace transforms us to be made perfect in virtue and perfect in holiness and perfect in happiness. That is on on offer for us all. Of course, our Our Lady has pride of place and is um, has a special has a special place. But that that life with God um, is something that our Our Lady kind of leads by way of primacy and also by way of example, but also leads us to her Son. And I think one of the most beautiful images of our of Our Lady is here at the at the visitation that she brings Christ. She brings her Son to Elizabeth in the same way that she she brings Christ to us. She kind of bears forth her son, um, prays for us, intercedes for us, merits for us, so that we can so that we can know him, so that we can stand before him in awe and in and worship and in and love and perfection. Father Jacob Bertrand talked about um this this passage as an occasion to nerd out or geek out. There's actually a strong medieval and Renaissance tradition <clears throat> that suggests that the Blessed Virgin Mary was nerding out or geeking out at the time uh, when the actions described in this reading uh, actually transpired. So you see in like a lot of, I mean, as early as like ninth, eighth, even eighth century paintings and all the way through the Renaissance, um, that at the moment of the Annunciation, the Blessed Mother is pictured with sometimes an open book, you know, the scriptures, or a stack of books, right? Or very evident signs of a kind of scholarly life. Not necessarily to suggest that the Blessed Virgin Mary is an intellectual, but um, to kind of put forth this theme that she conceives the word first in thought, right, before she conceives the word in her womb. <clears throat> and I think there you see an, a kind of excellent and surpassing icon of what the obedience of faith is, what it means to be actively receptive. Because the Blessed Mother is already graced, right? She's, she's 
hailed by the angel as she who has already been graced. Um, and, and she's working in accord with the grace that is given to her. She's consenting to it. She's cooperating with it. And then it fructifies in her life. It proves ultimately to, to bear the greatest of imaginable fruit. And so for us, this again is a kind of, not an admonition, but this is an encouragement to be obedient in faith, to be actively receptive after the pattern, after the model of our blessed lady. Because to have her as a model doesn't mean that like, oh yeah, like she sinned too, so we can follow her example. No, she didn't. Okay. But what it means to have her as a model is we see what grace does when the human person um, consents to and cooperates with it. And so um, to have kind of before our mind's eye, this disposition whereby we wait on the Lord, but it's a waiting that is pregnant. It's a waiting that is pregnant with anticipation, which is already rich in consent and in cooperation. And here, just a final thought from St. Therese of Lisieux. When she talks about this theme, she talks about it in terms of uh, consent or abandonment. And she puts forth two images, which I love, which are kind of wild in late 19th century French. But here we go. Uh, the first, she, she likens herself um, to a little red ball in our Lord's playpen. He can pick it up when he chooses to. He can set it aside when he chooses to. He can mangle it and check out the insides of said little red ball. And at this point, you're like, yikes, I want to get off this image boat. Um, right? Did you mention a boat? The second image is an image of a boat. And this one is a little less terrifying. Uh, she, she says that she is aboard a ship with our Lord. That ship is called abandonment. And if the Lord chooses to sleep uh, during the winds and tempests of life, then so be it. She will prove faithful. And I think that oftentimes the way that we consent to and cooperate with the Lord's grace in our lives won't necessarily look that dramatic, won't necessarily look that romantic. It could be being uh, a seemingly discarded little red ball in the Lord's playpen. It could be being aboard a ship with the Lord when it looks like at this juncture, he's fallen asleep and we're left to kind of mind the rudder. I don't know anything about sailing, but I think there are rudders on ships, right? Um, so it, it won't look, it won't look, um, again, romantic or dramatic, but it will be fruitful provided that we are faithful and our kind of hope and stay, our confidence comes from the fact that the Lord is faithful and he gives us what we need to be such. One constant and very clear memory I have of elementary school was of being in Barb Kirby's eighth grade class and Mrs. Kirby leading us all in the Angelus every day at noon. Now it was especially hilarious because while she led the Angelus, um, she would push the broom through the class. <laughs> so what, uh, there, there was this incredible, the reason why I think that is so awesome is because the, there's this incredible display of domesticity and of life's tasks, you know, while the prayer is being prayed. The Angelus is an extraordinary prayer, and I think a lot of Catholics have gotten out of the habit of praying it. And it's something that we should, we should cultivate intentionally in our family. So if you don't know what the Angelus is, the Angelus is the recitation of some of these words from this moment of the incarnation punctuated by Hail Marys. So there are three, three sets of them. And then um, the prayer, which is the prayer we said um, at the beginning, of the, um, the beginning of the episode. It's the colic for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, the Angelus is such an important prayer because traditionally Catholics prayed it three times a day. And in this way, you know, whether you're praying it at the traditional times of 6 a.m., noon, or 6 p.m., the day is punctuated by it. It's interrupted by it. Just as Christ's incarnation is an interruption of the designs of the world and a call to a call to something greater, a call to a greater machination of grace in our life. Um, the so this injunction to pray is a reminder throughout the day that we're 
um, seated with Mary in the school of the Lord's love and that no other task that we're doing is more important than being able to be with him, um, being able to turn to him and recognize uh, what he has done for us, that he has come around us, um, come to us. One last image to understand um, this reading is the place of the incarnation. So you, one can visit the house in Nazareth, which has um, at a spot traditionally believed to be the place where the angel Gabriel made the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary. Um, it says there that in this place, the word became flesh. So the word became flesh is one of those great lines and that's included in the Angelus, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, um, which is a reference to Holy Scripture, of course. But there in that place, it says here in this place, the word became flesh. And it's a reminder to us of the closeness of the reality of the incarnation, that this is not a hypothetical idea, but that this happened and that there was a place where the Blessed Mother was when Christ was conceived and that, that this conception, her acceptance of the will of God, um, which models for us a welcoming of the interruptions of Christ in our lives changed forever the course of the course of love. So with that, we're going to wrap this week's Lexio Divina for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, we're certainly praying for you as uh, Christmas approaches, and we'll have our regular Thursday episode and a special Christmas episode on Friday, uh, which you can uh, enjoy on Christmas morning as you wait for all the other members of your family to wake up. Uh, other exciting things on the God's planning front, um, we have guest planning. Uh, as I mentioned, or spoiled at the beginning of the episode. So the first, uh, the first Monday of each month, we'll invite a guest on uh, to correct our errors and to enlighten our ignorance. Um, so you can look for those to drop accordingly. And um, we have secret guests, <laughs> the names of whom I will never reveal. <laughs> alas and alack. Um, other exciting things. Uh, if you would, please uh, do like and share the podcast and, and write a review on whatever app you're using, whether it be Apple or Stitcher or Spotify. When you do that, other people are more likely to see it because that's how algorithms work. So it's like a small act of evangelization, just to drop a couple emojis in there with some thumbs up and fist pumps and say, this was great. Uh, other people are more likely to see the podcast and get uh, kind of caught up in it. Please God. And then also, uh, as you've heard, we've started a Patreon page, the purpose of which is to just support the podcast. So it, uh, any, any donation that you make just goes into making the podcast better, improving audio, improving video, uh, helping to pay somebody whom we have uh, employed uh, to help us really kind of uh, get it up to a place where it's more professional, easier to listen to, less distracting, and ultimately richer content. So, uh, so we thank you for that. We thank you for considering that gift. Um, and... Uh, yeah, those are, those are the things. Anything else that I missed, Father Jacob Birch or Father Patrick? Beautiful. That's it. <laughs> Chris, Christmas splaining just around the corner. <laughs> Perfect. That's it. That's Father Jacob. Noel splaining? Uh, Nat no. Nativity splaining? No, no, no. All right, all. Thanks for tuning in to this episode <laughs> of God's splaining. Know of our prayers for you, especially during the Christmas octave. And uh, until next time, God bless. <laughs>